Let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together. Uh, thank you for for your word and for the opportunity to study it in peace and freedom uh, without harassment or, or even uh, persecution uh, as many suffer uh, in the, the world and throughout the ages of of those believers who, who trust in, in your son. And we pray for them, pray that you'd build them up and uh, that you'd give them your word. And I pray that you'd cause us all to grow in your word and in the knowledge of you and your son and of the, uh, the good news, uh, the truth that's been once for all delivered to the saints. And I pray that our hearts and minds would be attentive to your word and that all our speech and actions would be uh, well-pleasing to you uh, by, by your spirit. And so we thank you for all these things and pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 16. We'll be jumping quickly back into 18 where we were last time. And really it's uh, at the the end of chapter uh, chapter 15 after uh, the song that they uh, sang after uh, Yahweh uh, destroyed uh, Pharaoh's uh, armies uh, and the, the people in the sea and brought his people through uh, redeeming them uh, as he said he would and uh, bringing them into the wilderness uh, to go through to Sinai uh, where he would uh, re- reveal and disclose himself to the people as the sign that God gave to Moses uh, that he had sent him and was bringing them out to, uh, to salvation. And so there's this big transition See in verse 22, chapter, chapter 15, where they enter into the wilderness. And here we see that, the, uh, that he's going to uh, test them uh, in the, the wilderness. Uh, and this is where they're uh, grumbling, they're quarreling, and their testing of God is going to uh, begin to, uh, to increase despite all of the signs that they've seen up to this point. So verse 22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Uh, They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, uh, it was named Marah, bitter, uh, bitterness. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There Yahweh made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of Yahweh your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. 
I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh, your healer. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. And so this is introducing, he's letting them know uh, that he's testing them to really see whether they believe uh, and trust in him after they've seen his judgment upon their enemies, upon Pharaoh, upon the Egyptians and all of his chariots and soldiers and armies who came out to destroy them. Uh, One of the very most powerful, if not the most powerful nation at that time uh, who had oppressed them. Uh, And seeing uh, the 10 plagues and the other signs that, that were performed uh, uh, through, through Moses and uh, bringing them through the sea and now providing for them uh, in the wilderness uh, as well. Uh, can you not provide water? Uh, the one who uh, had Moses take the water out of the Nile and cast it on the, uh, the dry ground and it became blood and he turned the, the Nile into to blood uh, and the, the fish died and uh, stank uh, and the Egyptians couldn't, couldn't drink and they couldn't drink from the groundwater uh, around. Uh, can he not provide them uh, with, with water? And even providing for them on the Passover, uh, bringing, them, uh, bringing them out and passing over so they didn't kill them. Uh, and so really their, their disobedience will be a sign that they don't believe. Uh, they don't trust him. Uh, they don't trust that God is with them, uh, that he is present to provide for them, to sustain them, to bless them, uh, to save and redeem them. Uh, and so we're going to see this test throughout, and this is even before uh, the covenant made at Sinai. Uh, he hasn't brought judgments on the people, and he's not going to through this first stretch in the, the wilderness. Uh, but He'll continue to provide despite their, uh, their grumbling. Uh, and as speaking with uh, Nancy, uh, and we were talking about why is it you're asking that, that God would test them? And of course, test in that sense, uh, it's not saying that God is trying to entice them to sin or anything like that, uh, but he's testing to see whether they believe. Uh, whether they have genuine faith and trust in him uh, to provide for them. You know, if they're thirsty for water uh, and they're hungry, uh, they can ask God and he'll, he'll provide and, and care for them. Uh, and he'll, he'll do it uh, him, himself. Uh, but uh, is even raising the issue, uh, and a profound one, you know, that we have to think about is, well, if God knows what they're going to do, it's not for him to learn, you know, what, what they're going to do, at least not in the sense of God's uh, foreknowledge and ultimate determination of all things. Uh, he's, he's decreed all that will come to pass, including the ends and the means, and uh, he even uses the, uh, the free choices of men as they follow their, uh, their heart's desires. And for sinners... Jesus says, uh, if you sin, you're, you're a slave of, of sin. Uh, but 
uh, people, they, they follow the, the desires of their hearts and God uses it for, for good, as you see with, with Joseph and such. But God, he interacts with people and humanity and his people as creatures uh, in space and time who are limited. You know, they're, they're, not, they're not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. Uh, they're not all-powerful. All uh, and so God condescends uh, to communicate and to relate and to communicate with his creatures. Uh, and this test uh, will reveal something about uh, their faith, uh, whether they really believe. Uh, it will be an outward demonstration of the, the very uh, state of their their hearts. Uh, it will also show uh, their need for God's spirit, uh, for God's redemption, uh, that they need to depend upon him. Uh, they need to trust in him. Uh, they need to not look to themselves, but to God and to God alone. Uh, and it teaches the readers that as well. It teaches us something about God, about his nature, about his long-suffering as they continue to grumble and quarrel and rebel against God throughout the uh, the wilderness, uh, teaches us and shows us that God is long-suffering, uh, that he is patient, that he is kind and good and merciful, uh, that he was with them throughout uh, the wilderness, just as he said and promised he would be, uh, that he would provide for them, sustain them, that he would uh, bless them, uh, and that we should hope and trust uh, in him. Our, our dependence should be on him, uh, not in ourselves. You know, we, we do the very... Uh, very same thing. And so God condescends to, to communicate uh, and to, to interact with his creatures uh, in a way that we understand. And uh, we'll even see that with uh, the man in the garden. Where are you? <laughs> you know, he calls out. Uh, and yet, it's not that God doesn't know where the man is. He's drawing attention to where the man is. <laughs> in fact, uh, uh, the man doesn't even say, oh, I'm over here, God. You just missed me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> He's, he's, dis, he's disclosing, why are you at where you're at? Why are you hiding uh, in the trees and the, uh, the foliage that I gave you to provide for you? You know, there, there's, something, uh, there's something wrong. And so he asks questions of, of man and such and uh, interrogates. And it's not that God doesn't know where he is. You know, he, he just, just missed him. Uh, oh, there you are. You know, I was, I was worried sick. <laughs> I, I've been looking all over for you. As uh, the open theists, you know, would uh, like us to uh, to believe about, about God, but you know, he's he's uh, interacting, and this reveals something about God, uh, but it also reveals something about the the people uh, and about their nature and uh, and ours. And so, uh, throughout this, uh, you have this test, uh, and we see then God provides. Verse twenty-seven, uh, they go to a new location. Uh, then they came to Elim, uh, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. So uh, 12 springs for the 12 tribes and 70 palm trees uh, to provide for them. Uh, and their elders were uh, 70 or 72. Sometimes it rounds it off. And uh, the people who went like into Egypt and uh, such, speaking uh, to the uh, the the tribes, the clans, uh, and the uh, of of Israel, and God's 
God's provision for them uh, in the wilderness, whether for food or shade or water, uh, he provides for them. Then in chapter 16, uh, we won't go through all of this, but uh, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, uh, which is between Elim and uh, Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Wow, that's ramping it up. As we spoke about Joseph, well, for the Egyptians, they lived on the east side of the Nile. They're buried on the west. And that's where, like, their pyramids were and uh, the uh, valley uh, of the, the kings and such for, uh, for burying them and the, the tombs uh, because uh, you had to be buried in Egypt if, if you wanted to uh, enter uh, into uh, the, uh, the other side uh, with, with Osiris and uh, travel west and to the abode of the dead uh, beneath the earth. And if you wanted to uh, enjoy the, the, the cycle of, of rebirth and such, uh, you had to be buried in Egypt. Uh, but Joseph had the people promise that they'd take his bones uh, when God came to bring them out because God said he would come to bring the people out uh, after the, the 400 years passed, uh, the four, four generations, and to take his, his bones to Israel, to the land to be buried there. He didn't want to be buried in Egypt, and he believed that God would deliver the people. Uh, but this people, they've been delivered out of Egypt, and now they're complaining and grumbling uh, in, in unbelief. And this started even before they, they crossed the, uh, the sea. Weren't there graves in Egypt that you had to bring us out to be killed by the Egyptians in the, the wilderness? So uh, it ramps up, uh, and they grumble and then uh, they uh, take, take too, too much bread and, and preserve it for the, the next day, even though God said he would provide each and every day. Uh, when they talk about like uh, to, to ask God for daily bread or, or for that to persist, you know, for our subsistence. Uh, Jesus echoing back to these things and like in, in Deuteronomy, man shall not live on bread alone, but every a word that comes forth from the mouth of God. And so day by day, they were to trust God that he would provide for them, you know, bread from, uh, from, from heaven, from, from God. Uh, and they uh, even, some of them even rebel and take, uh, uh, there won't be any on the Sabbath, so take twice as much uh, uh, before, before the, the Sabbath, before the last day of the, the week. Uh, corresponding to our Saturday. And some of them came out for bread. You know, I wonder if there's bread there on the Sabbath. You know, maybe I'll check. And so they, they keep rebelling against them. Well, let's go to Exodus chapter 17. Um, 
And we'll read through this uh, first part that we covered already because uh, we're going to hear echoes back on whether there's a chiastic structure, you know, sort of a A, B, C, B, A uh, pattern, uh, or uh, you at least have kind of a sort of a bookend that, that echoes back because now again uh, you have grumbling over water. And so chapter 17, verse 1, and this will also, some of this will also draw into to what follows. So, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of Sin by stages according to the commandment of Yahweh and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test Yahweh? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt uh, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Mo Moses cried to Yahweh, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And Yahweh said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. As we asked last week, what's he going to do with the staff he struck the Nile with? Is he going to bring the plagues upon them that he brought upon the Egyptians? He's testing them in the, in the wilderness, after all. So maybe he'll just strike them dead or uh, dr drown them right here uh, in the, the waters, you know, like in the... Of the flood and with the Egyptians, or uh, maybe he'll strike down all their, uh, their firstborn and turn the, the water to blood. Uh, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb. So on Mount Sinai, Mount Mor Horeb, where he said he'd bring them to himself. And that's where he manifests himself in a tangible, uh, even visible Way and so uh, he's at the, the mountain, uh, the mountain of the, the Lord. Uh, Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, uh, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested. Yahweh by saying, Is the Lord or is Yahweh among us or not? So, doubting even that he's even uh, with them. Uh, and so, uh, the, the names, Masa and Meribah, for, uh, for testing and quarreling uh, with him. And most of the places are named after their rebellion against God for the, the whole itinerary along the way. Uh, now we'll see, like with uh, Abraham uh, and the, the kings uh, that uh, fought against uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and Adba and Zeboim and uh, the, the cities around, uh, and that they took a lot and Abraham brought them back. And uh, then you have this scene where uh, you have Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of uh, Salem, uh, peace, uh, king of uh, the same place that would become 
uh, become Jerusalem. Uh, that would be the, uh, the capital for Israelites, for Judah, uh, for the Davidic, uh, Davidic kings. Uh, he comes out with uh, wine and water and blesses Abraham. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Uh, but the king of Sodom uh, basically says, uh, give me the people and uh, you know, take the, uh, the spoil or what, whatever uh, for, for yourself. But uh, he kind of puts it in a way where uh, it's almost sort of, he doesn't bless like Abraham but kind of, kind of commanding them and maybe even kind of putting it in a way that Abraham would be his client. You know, kind of a client ruler around him, uh, kind of that he would owe something to this king of, of Sodom. Uh, and so here's a king that doesn't bless Abraham. Uh, and later, God is going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities uh, in uh, sulfur, in ashes and fire uh, from, from heaven, that he's going to rain upon them. And now here, they come out of the wilderness, and the Amalekites are going to attack and fight against them. And so the people have been quarreling. Uh, they've been complaining. Uh, they've been attesting Yahweh. And now the Amalekites are going to come out and fight against them, and God's going to, he's going to defeat them. Because they're his people that he's, he's bringing out. You know, his uh, chosen, well, they're supposed to be his chosen, believing, uh, righteous people, a righteous offspring uh, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, but uh, as you keep reading, you see the rebellion increase uh, more, more and more of this, by and large, of this first generation. But then following, we're going to see Jethro, priest of Midian, uh, the father-in-law of Moses, who, who will come and bless Yahweh. We here's the report of all the, the things that, uh, that happen. He comes to, to faith. And so you, you see uh, the Abrahamic covenant, you're, you're seeing uh, initial foretastes, you know, the, the, the small part of the fulfillment of even Gentiles and people coming to faith in Yahweh. In fact, there were people that came out of Egypt and the Egyptians who, who went to the wilderness with uh, the people. They didn't want to stay with Pharaoh uh, in, in Egypt, but they came, uh, they came to, uh, to, to faith, uh, whether mental ascent or uh, some of them, true, true uh, believers. Uh, so we'll see this contrast here. Uh, and we'll also see uh, uh, Jethro will advise Moses, and we're going to see these uh, themes of, uh, we just saw the Yahweh uh, that, He's standing on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb. And so when he strikes the rock with the staff that he's given him to do the signs, uh, the symbolizing the authority and power he's given to, to Moses, he brings forth uh, the water. God is present overseeing all of these, these things. Uh, and we'll see uh, Moses standing with the staff of God He's not going to be able to stand too long. Pretty soon he's going to have to sit. He won't be able to hold his arms up too long. He's going to need some help. So, uh, and then uh, he'll be sitting, and Jethro will find him uh, sitting uh, all day and all night with the people lined up uh, as uh, judging and with the, the cases and such. <laughs> and so he can't stand up. And so uh, Jethro is going to have to give him some advice. So 
Uh, we'll be looking at verse 8. And so they uh, tested Yahweh by saying, Is Yahweh among us or not? Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Raphidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So the staff symbolizing the authority and power of God that he's given as Moses is his representative prophet and spokesman. Uh, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua uh, did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Now, before going on, let's just uh, break that down a little bit. So verse 10, he he commanded Joshua. Uh, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And now, you know, kind of like a war epic and such, a narrative, you know, you almost kind of expect. And uh, Joshua went out and he fought valiantly and the mighty men, you know, they, uh, and you get some of that, you know, in Joshua and Judges, uh, but uh, and, and took him down, and Joshua was this great commander, and he walked the lines and, you know, commanded the men. And, uh, but you have this turn. So Joshua did, as Moses told him, and fought with Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Okay? Uh, whenever Moses held up his hand, uh, Israel prevailed. So the, the staff, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. Well, that's, it seemed kind of odd uh, initially, but the staff represents the authority and power of God. And so uh, showing that God is with the people. This is the symbol that God has given uh, that Moses is his authoritative spokesman. And so it says something about Moses, uh, but uh, it says something about, about God, about Yahweh, that uh, he is with them, uh, that he fights for the people, that he gives them uh, the victory. And so it really, it doesn't chalk it up really to Joshua. It's like, yeah, the men are out there fighting and you, there is that, that component. But really it all hinges on this staff, whether it's raised up or, uh, or, or not. And you, you might think, well, uh, you know, Moses, he's this, he's this great man of God. He's, he's this great authoritative prophet uh, who stands on the rock with his hands up, you know, and even kind of he parts the sea. And you maybe think of, uh, it's been a long time since I saw like the Charlton Heston 
you know, Exodus and uh, CE parts and uh, Moses standing there with the staff. And, you know, you have this uh, great mighty scene, but it's like, you can't keep his arms up. Like, uh, it's like, here's a guy that, how many pull-ups could he do? You know, probably not too, too many. <laughs> but he's, I mean, he's, he's like 80 years old. So, you know, cut him a little, a little slack. But, uh, you know, and so you're, you're seeing it okay, it says something about Moses, but really this doesn't hinge on Moses either because now Moses, you know, he he can't just uh, stand there. But uh, verse 12, uh, Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it. (laughs) You know, God was standing on the mountain, like overseeing these things. (laughs) Didn't have to like sit down or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, But Moses, they bring a stone over so he can sit down, you know, on the job. Uh, and, And then... Uh, now sitting, uh, well, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So they're standing there, you know, with him sitting, so they don't have to, you know, do this thing. You know, they, they can just help him uh, hold, hold the staff up uh, uh, be, before him. Uh, and so, you know, it's not Moses strength or might and it's it's not like some sort of just superstitious well i've got this magical staff you know and and uh moses this uh this magic man's like doing this or something but uh it's it's just representative of god's authority uh in power and uh moses has to sit down on the job and have aaron and her come along the way and uh and it doesn't it doesn't make light of uh you know god doesn't say, oh moses why couldn't you stand up like that that time <laughs> but he needs help he he can't do it on his own you know he's he's just a man uh he's uh he's just a a man and he needed aaron to help him you know uh god gave him aaron uh they went to the elders uh, he gave him the staff the signs god makes all these provisions for moses uh, and he needs help. He's not just this mighty man of God who can, you know, do all these these great things. Uh, but really, it's God who's with them, and, and the staff is just the the symbol of that. And so it really speaks uh, to God being present with them and fighting their uh, their enemies and giving them the the victory. And so that's that's very different perspective of like warfare and such. Uh, and so uh, his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Verse 13. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. And now Joshua did do that. I mean, they, they were fighting uh, uh, long, along the way, but uh, it was ultimately God who, who gave them uh, the, the victory. Uh, then Yahweh said to Moses, Write this as a memorial in a book or uh, even a a scroll, Uh, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, Yahweh is my banner, uh, saying, a hand upon the throne of Yahweh. Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Uh, and so, let's see, verse, let me see, verse uh, 15. Yeah, and so you, you they have this uh, banner or even like a signal. And some say it might have even sometimes been like a, 
pole and, and such, but it's uh, symbolic of the, the power, uh, the authority uh, of, of Yahweh, who's really their, their true, uh, true king, uh, their, uh, their true, you know, he's, uh, he's a mighty man, he's a warrior who defeats their, uh, their enemies. Uh, and he pronounces this, uh, this curse upon Amalek that will run throughout. Uh, you find it throughout the, the Torah, uh, their time in the wilderness, uh, leading up to the, the conquest. Uh, then in the land, Joshua, Judges, uh, the, the kings, Saul, David, Solomon, uh, and even all the way to uh, Esther, uh, in which... Uh, some of you were uh, in our classes where we were going through like Isaiah and, and such on the, uh, the, the virgin or the Alma, she'll be with the child. And, and we looked at Esther and saw that uh, Haman, the Agagite, uh, Agag was uh, probably a name for a leader, uh, maybe even like a clan of the Amalekites. And he wanted to destroy Mordecai. And Mordecai was a descendant of Saul's father, Kish, but through uh, Shimi, or Shimi, uh, another son, uh, because Saul refused to kill Agag of the Amalekites. And uh, Samuel came along, you know, what's this, what's this bleeding of sheep uh, that, that I hear? And then he sees the king. Yahweh told him to destroy all of the, uh, the, the, the people and uh, the sheep and goats and livestock uh, and the, the king to utterly destroy them and blot them out. They're the very enemies of, of God that he had pronounced a curse upon. And later, uh, it, as I recall, the Malachite comes up to David after Saul died. And there's something fishy about his story. You know, it comes up a couple times. Uh, and says they saw Saul and Saul I was there dying and said, you know, to, to run him through, you know, put him out of his misery. And, uh, and so uh, he brought uh, evidence to, to David. I can't remember his breastplate or whatever, but to uh, David that Saul had died. And David says that, why have you killed, you know, Yahweh's anointed? And he strikes him dead, you know, right there. He doesn't stop for a moment from striking down this Amalekite. And God has uh, pronounced a, a curse. And so later, uh, you have a, another descendant of Kish. You know, Saul uh, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't do it uh, when he was a king, and God rejected him. But Mordecai, God uses him, he uses Esther uh, to destroy Haman, descendant of Agag and the, the Agagites of, of Amalek, and bring an end to these things in God's providence uh, in, in Esther. And so it's all the way throughout. And you see it start here. And I, I, think, I think Amalek was a descendant of, uh, or from the, the descendants of uh, Esau. Yeah. yeah. Is there any current descendants of, I mean, any way of tracing that line currently? I think that Esther put an end to it. I, I, think, I think that Esther uh, probably put, it, put an end to it. That's the last I know of. Uh, in the uh, the Bible, and I saw Eugene Merrill uh, mention maybe something around the time of like the captivity, but he missed uh, he missed Esther and uh, Haman, uh, who comes along, and so 
Uh, Esther is one of the very last uh, last books uh, that takes place in the uh, the early fifth uh, century BC. So the the around maybe starts around like 486 or you know 480s around around there. Uh, so that that's the last I know of of the, the Agagites and uh, Esther. It's an amazing book that not once does it ever explicitly mention God. Not once in the entire book. But his hand is in everything, like in the the entire book. I mean, it's one of the most uh, amazing books as far as like God's providence. And so now uh, we're going to see another non-Israelite, another uh, Gentile from, from the nations, uh, Jethro, a priest of Midian, who uh, the Midianites were descendants of, well, also from, from Abraham, but through, uh, through not Ishmael, not Isaac, uh, but through uh, his uh, wife they had uh, after uh, Sarah died, uh, Keturah, uh, toward the end of his life. So early in Genesis uh, 20, 25. And so he's a, a distant uh, descendant of uh, Abraham. But among the nations, he, he doesn't belong to the uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the, the 12 tribes. So uh, first we'll see uh, Jethro uh, come and uh, see that he comes to faith, that he blesses Yahweh, hearing of all these things, just as God said. It was to, uh, he, he'd harden Pharaoh's heart to make his name known throughout all the earth. And reveal it to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, to the Israelites, his people, and throughout all the earth. So, uh, and then we'll see uh, Jethro give advice to Moses. So Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, had taken uh, Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. Uh, the name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. In the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. A Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And so this kind of sets everything up. This is leading a uh, new, new scene setting and uh, narrative uh, that he introduces and really going back all the way to his uh, leaving uh, Jethro after the, the 40 years that he spent as a sojourner uh, from uh, 1586 to uh, 1546. Or is it uh, 1486 to, to 1446 uh, there? Um, and so the 40 years in Midian, in which a Jethro brought him in, he gave him bread, he gave him shelter, put him over his flocks, he gave him his daughter uh, as a wife. And then at the end of that time, uh, Moses 
or God appeared to uh, to Moses and commissioned him at Mount Horeb, at Mount Sinai, uh, in the uh, the the burning uh, burning bush, in this theophany, and he went back to Jethro, and he said he was going to go to his brothers to see, you know, if they're still still alive. And Jethro says, "Go in peace." You know, he's kind of the anti Laban, uh, Jacob's uh, uh, uncle. And he went to, to stay with uh, Laban, uh, the, uh, the, the brother of his uh, mother, Rebecca, uh, after uh, Esau threatened to, to kill him. And Laban, you know, he says, the, the children are mine. You know, they're my daughters. They're my children. They're my livestock. And uh, you know, he's not going to give them anything, you know. And uh, he wants to just keep them there and make them uh, his uh, workhorse. And, you know, he's... He uh, deceived, deceiving Jacob, and he cheated, cheating Jacob. Uh, and so Jacob learned a lesson, you know, from his, uh, from his early life during that time uh, that, that God showed him. Uh, but Jethro, you know, go in peace. And so uh, he, he blesses Moses along the way. And you see him show up with, uh, he comes with uh, having heard of these things, you know, word uh, went, went forth. Uh, and we don't know when Zipporah went back, but sometime between uh, the circumcision as they were traveling back, going back to Egypt in the Exodus, uh, she uh, went uh, to her father. So sometime uh, between then and coming uh, out of Egypt. Uh, and whether uh, we, we don't know the the exact reason uh, that she went to uh, stay with her father, but uh, with Moses confronting Pharaoh and all of these uh, things going on, they, uh, they went back. And uh, his son Eliezer seems to be named maybe in relation to like Pharaoh and such. And so Eliezer maybe was born more recently, uh, depending on uh, when he received that, that name. And so uh, let's just go through again. Verse 1, uh, Jethro, the priest of Midian, priest of Midian, uh, kind of like with, with Zadok, uh, Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how Yahweh had brought Israel out of Egypt. Uh, now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, uh, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, uh, after he had sent her home along with her two sons. And really has to do with taking her and then coming to Moses at this, uh, this time along with her two sons. Uh, the name of the one, Gershom, uh, was Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. And so, sojourner, you know, going back to his sojourner, to, to think about this deliverance that God has made for Moses, uh, his prophet, his spokesman, whom he has commissioned, and his people. Uh, it kind of brackets uh, so much of Exodus up to this point. You know, the end of Exodus, uh, three and uh, into to four up to this, uh, this point. In the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Uh, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. So they're in the vicinity now of Mount Horeb, uh, Sinai. And when he sent word to Moses, 
I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. But Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. And there, I, I your father-in-law Jethro, and so we have this again and again, uh, their, their relationship, you know, to, to him. Uh, maybe even has a bit of authority as his, uh, uh, as his father-in-law. But Moses is now, you know, he's been commissioned as this uh, prophet of, of God. Uh, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. That's kind of interesting. Your wife and her two sons with her. And once before, you know, it said uh, her sons, then it said his sons, uh, but now, you know, your wife and her two sons uh, with her. And some of it, you know, the biblical authors, they're often counting things for their themes and references and such. So that comes into play. But also how, how they place it, you know, you kind of wonder if he's uh, connecting the wife to Moses and the sons to her, you know, as his, his wife and the sons that, that have been, uh, been given uh, so I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons uh, with her. Uh, Moses went out to meet, uh, I meant like instead of saying your sons, or well, in English, y'all sons, <laughs> you know, sounds a little informal, but Hebrew, they, they have better ways to say that. So. <laughs> not that I, I like y'all, I'm, I'm not dissing or anything like that. But, uh, and so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law uh, bowed down and kissed him. Uh, and they asked each other uh, of their welfare. Uh, and really, it uh, has to do with, let's see, verse 7? Yeah, to, to his, uh, his com- companion, uh, Shalom. Or Shalom, you know, the inquiring of their uh, their uh, well, well-being of, of one another. And so he had wished shalom to Abraham before and uh, now, now again. Uh, and they, they went uh, into the, the tent. And so he gives this warm greeting uh, to his father-in-law who's come to him, hearing of all that Yahweh has, has done for them and receives him. He even shows uh, respect, you know, to, to his father-in-law. Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that Yahweh had done uh, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship uh, that had come upon them in the way and how Yahweh had delivered them. So now we're counting all of it in detail uh, to his father-in-law in in the tent, uh, telling him of all these deeds that Yahweh had done for them uh, in defeating Pharaoh uh, and and for the the people, all all the hardships that they faced all the way through the Exodus, uh, out of Egypt, uh, the the mistreatment by the Egyptians, you know, killing of the firstborn, the oppression upon the, the people, bringing them out with a strong hand through the sea, through the wilderness, uh, to uh, this, uh, this time. Uh, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good the good. You know, it doesn't just say uh, what he had told them, but the good uh, that Yahweh had done to Israel. Uh, He recognizes all the good 
that God has done upon uh, this people uh, in delivering them. And the people, I mean, what a contrast. They're grumbling and quarreling along the way and don't trust God. But here Jethro recognizes all the good that God has done for them, uh, all the kindness he's shown for them, his provision, his salvation of uh, the people. And he rejoiced. It's not him who was brought out of Egypt. He's rejoicing for what God's done for them. Uh, And so Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And we hear this again and again. God had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be Yahweh who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Again and again and again, God has delivered them. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And so Yahweh is greater than all gods. He's uh, he's king of kings, he's lord of lords, you know, he's, he's over, uh, over all. Uh, and sometimes uh, when they speak of gods, there are different construals, uh, sometimes they speak of gods that are just the imaginations of men, sometimes you see that, like in I- Isaiah, the n- neither eat or smell or, you know, speak, and they're just deaf, dumb uh, idols, blocks of woods, and <laughs> yeah, or blocks of wood, um, and so there, there, there are no gods at all. You know, uh, there's, uh, they're, they're just speaking about the, the deaf, dumb, blind blocks of wood. You know, idols, the imaginations and figments of men's minds. But sometimes when it speaks of Elohim, sometimes it speaks about uh, the spirits, uh, the evil spirits, uh, by and large, that are rebellion, uh, that... God has scattered uh, uh, the, the nations and put them uh, under them, giving them up to, uh, to evil spirits and really to, uh, to demons, as like uh, Paul and such uh, calls them. Uh, and so uh, here uh, he's acknowledging, that, uh, acknowledging Yahweh. He's the one true living creator God. And of all the, uh, the spirits and such that the nations worship, uh, no, it's uh, Yahweh. Uh, he's he's the, the true living God, and he, he is the one to be worshipped. Yep, Nancy. Um, Jethro, he was a priest of Midian, so he came from a pagan yep. background, yep. and he was actually doing priestly duties. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, yeah, it, it really shows. He's, he's come to faith. This is the, the promise that you shall be a blessing in you. All nations will be blessed. You know, that's what God said to Abraham. Uh, that through Pharaoh, through his deliverance, he'll make his name known throughout all the earth. And so uh, you're seeing uh, these things. You're, you're seeing some coming to faith, uh, which is just, you know, it's, it's just a paltry foretaste. I mean, it's, it's just a, a, a tiny a taste and example of what will come like in the, the millennial kingdom uh, and then even in the eternal state that you'll have the 12 foundations for the 12 apostles in the new Jerusalem 
the 12 gates for the 12 tribes, corresponding to the 24 priestly divisions, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Uh, and so the assembly of the redeemed in this age, the church with the apostles, uh, and the, uh, the Israel, the nation, uh, they're citizens of the heavenly uh, Jerusalem, the kingdom to come, but the nations will walk in their light. And so God's going to bring his salvation, his blessing uh, to all the nations and to all the, the ends of the earth. And so we're seeing, you know, uh, the, the very beginning of this with Jethro. You know, he'll, he'll be eating with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, in the, the kingdom. And so uh, Jethro said, verse 10, Blessed be Yahweh, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know, you will know, that I am Yahweh. You know, we, we saw that there was this future orientation where even though, yeah, okay, they knew the name Yahweh, you know, they, uh, they, they knew the sounds uh, and such, there's a sense in which they still didn't know God and they still did not know him by name. Uh, I will, I will, I will. You know, I will bring the people out with a strong hand. Uh, I, I will judge Pharaoh and the Egyptians. I w will bring them out and bring them to my, myself. You know, I will plant them uh, and make them a people and uh, that uh, I will be their God and they will be my people. And so there, there's this future trajectory. And now Jethro, uh, Jethro says, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods uh, because in this affair, uh, they dealt arrogantly uh, with uh, the people. And uh, he goes, uh, Paul Williamson, he does a nice job linking, linking that back. He, he writes in the, oh, it's the new NIV Zondervan Study Bible. Uh, and it's mixed, you know, like any, any study Bible. Uh, people, people writing, you won't agree with everything that uh, scholars say and such. Uh, but... Uh, it's, uh, it's a nice, nice resource. And so, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair, they dealt arrogantly with the people. Uh, and probably linking back there to the Egyptians, uh, where again and again, you see the arrogance, you see the hardness uh, in rejecting God. Uh, and even uh, Nehemiah echoes back to this and speaks about the, the arrogance of the Egyptians. And then later, the arrogance of the Israelites, of the, the people, after they came, came out and they started rebelling uh, against God. It's kind of, it's kind of the same in, uh, in Revelations because they have the hardening where they won't, God doesn't, mentions how he hardens their heart and they won't turn to him even though he keeps pounding them with these God-only plagues. I mean, there's no one else that can cause them. Yeah, yeah. And then it's, it's also interesting that Kind of like the Israelites in the millennium, it talks about a rebellion. And it's like, you know, they've seen all that God's done and they still rebel. It's spiritual, spiritual blindness. It's not because they're innocent. It's be, they're morally culpable uh, following uh, their sinful hearts and desires uh, in rebellion uh, against God. And God, he hardens them. He gives them, gives them over to their... Uh, to their sin. Uh, he gives them over to their uh, evil desires and uh, their, their state uh, in, in rebellion, you know, from, from the, the time, of, 
time of Adam. Uh, but yeah, you, that's a really good point. You, you see that throughout Revelation all the way to the end. doesn't matter how intense it gets. And you even have like the, the angels, God's envoys, his heavenly messengers, even proclaim like the eternal gospel. You know, the good news. And they won't believe. They won't believe, you know, uh, uh, d despite all, all of it. So uh, now I know that Yahweh is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. Verse 12, in Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, so now we, we have his, his response to all these things, acknowledging what God has done, having been, having hearing, having now heard it from, from Moses. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. So now, he's a priest of God. He, he worships uh, the one true living God, uh, Yahweh. Uh, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so now they have fellowship with Jethro, priest of Midian, you know, Moses' uh, father-in-law, with this, uh, this foreigner. Uh, and as uh, Paul Williamson says, you know, Jethro, he'll go, he'll go back to his country. But he goes back as a believer. Uh, kind of like uh, Naaman, the, the leper, who comes to faith uh, in the time of uh, Elijah and Elisha in, the, in their days. And, but he goes back to Aram, uh, Syria, uh, as, as a believer. And so uh, you see this fellowship that they have. And even like with Melchizedek, he came out with bread and wine, you know, to, uh, to bring on, have, have, have fellowship and show hospitality to Abraham. And he was, he was a priest of the, the Most High God uh, in, uh, in those days. And so there, there were some believers like, like uh, uh, Melchizedek uh, around, uh, but they were few and far, far between. You know, we, we don't really see uh, anyone mentioned during the days of Abraham other than uh, those who, who come, come to faith and see God at work, you know, through, through him. Uh, and now this brings us to, uh, to a new scene. So you see Jethro, uh, this, uh, this believer, uh, that he's a, a positive uh, figure, you know, in contrast to the Amalekites who fought against them and even the Israelites who were grumbling and such. And this is going to bring us to Moses as judge. Uh, he's uh, God's uh, authoritative representative prophet who represents him. Uh, he even says, uh, you shall be as God, as Elohim to Aaron. You shall be God, uh, Elohim to Pharaoh. Of course, under God, you know, he's not, he's not truly, truly God, but by extension, uh, metaphorical extension, that Pharaoh is king over Egypt, you know, uh, maybe the greatest nation of the, the time. And as God is above Moses, Moses is above Pharaoh. And uh, Pharaoh and them uh, come out and bow before Moses and give them, you know, uh, tribute and, uh, and things uh, to uh, sending them away out of the, the land, you know, as, as God's representative. 
Not because Moses was so great, but because God's so great and he appointed, appointed uh, Moses. Uh, but now we're going to see that he's, he's also Yahweh God's representative judge uh, who represents him. Uh, there were many prophets in Moses' day, but not all of them were, were quite like Moses. Uh, he was the prophet par excellence in his day, uh, kind of like Samuel in his day and Elijah and Elisha in their days. And, uh, and there are many judges, as we'll see. We'll start with one, but uh, not all of them had the same authority and responsibility as, as Moses. Uh, he was God's, uh, humanly speaking, uh, his uh, ultimate authoritative representative judge. Uh, we'll even see, you know, as we continue working, uh, that he was a priest of God and, and he was even, uh, in a sense, a king or a prince over the people in, in, his, uh, in his day. Uh, offices that uh, you see many filled like with uh, Jehoiada, the, the priest, and uh, some others, uh, Samuel. Uh, Jehoiada was buried in the, the valley of the kings when he died because they basically considered him one of the kings uh, because of uh, all that God had done through Jehoiada, uh, raising him up uh, in the days of uh, Joash uh, when uh, Atalia tried to, the whole house of David was almost wiped out and this little boy, and then when I think he reached the age of seven, Jehoiada, you know, brought him up and uh, Joash was obedient, walked in the ways of Yahweh as long as Jehoiada lived. And so, all right, uh, new scene, uh, new day, uh, verse 13. Uh, the next day, Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Uh, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, uh, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them known. Uh, I make them known uh, the statutes of God and his laws. Uh, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So uh, we have, uh, and just for time, normally I'd, read through the whole section, but uh, we'll, we'll take it in chunks along the way. So you start out, uh, verse 13, uh, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. So next day, uh, now Jethro's here. They maybe been doing this for, for a while. You know, it's maybe not the first day uh, this has been uh, going, going on. And Moses is, after all, uh, he is Yahweh's authoritative prophet and spokesman uh, that he's been appointed, as uh, Paul Williams says. Uh, Williamson says uh, his his mediator uh, that God has has appointed. So you know he's here to uh, uh, to, to judge the people. And uh, you think about the Israelites 
well, there were over 600,000 men who came out of Egypt, not counting the women and children. So you have this great, <laughs> massive multitude, and Moses sitting down and all the disputes, and here's a quarreling, grumbling people. And so, you know, there are probably a lot of problems going along, and they, they want to hear from God, which it's not really a bad thing. I mean, what Moses is doing seems good in and of itself, you know, uh, telling him the word of God, uh, giving him them the, the commandments uh, from from God and settling disputes and, and such. And so on the face of it, it seems like, a, you know, a good thing that he's doing. Uh, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Uh, when Moses' uh, father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And now, he sees very well what Moses is doing. <laughs> He's drawing attention to what Moses is doing uh, and follows it up. Uh, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. It's the whole sitting alone thing. Uh, with, so now he's sitting. Yahweh had been standing, you know, on the, on the, the mountain at the, the, uh, the rock and uh, they brought forth the water. Uh, and then Moses was standing and had to, to, to sit down because he couldn't stand all that time and hold his hands up. And uh, so Aaron and her had to help him. Now Moses is sitting to judge, which is a common cultural thing, even like with the Romans. Uh, they'd have the, the bema seat and they'd even have like a portable platform that, that uh, whether the, the emperor or a proconsul or a consul who is like a, a governor or a proconsul over, over a nation like Judah watching over the territory, they'd sit on this platform to judge the people. And you even see that uh, Jesus and Paul, uh, Jesus, for instance, uh, he stands up to read in the synagogue and sits down to teach. They'd, they'd sit down to, to teach. And so, uh, like we're doing here, so uh, <laughs> I, 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 I think everyone should sit down to teach. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and so uh, he sees them sitting here all alone, all the, all the people. And uh, st- uh, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, uh, because the people come to me to inquire of God. God's pointed, you know, of him, of course. And so they come to him, God's representative. Uh, when they have a dispute, they come to me, and I dece- decide between one person and another, and I make them known, or I, I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. So he's settling disputes, he's teaching them God's statutes and laws. On testing them through the wilderness to see whether they'd obey his statutes, his laws, his commandments, whether they'd walk in his ways. Uh, and so this is part of the, the whole issue for this grumbling, quarreling, unbelieving, disobe- disobedient people. You know, we're dealing here with the inauguration of Israel's judges uh, and even part of, part of the, the solution for this people, what they, what they need uh, in 
uh, the, the land, to be taught by God, you know, uh, to be judged by God, uh, to be under his authority. And so this sounds, it sounds like a good thing that, that he says. Uh, and then uh, Moses' father-in-law, so verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. <laughs> Drops kind of a bombshell on him, you know. It's like uh, with with God, you know, in creation, uh, he saw that it was good. He saw that it was good uh, seven times. He, behold, he saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And uh, then there are another like a uh, couple times, uh, and the man saw that, uh, the 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 man was alone, uh, and God saw that it was not good. That the man was alone. You know, woman's missing, and so. Uh, now his father-in-law says, what you are doing is not good. It's not good what, what you're doing. Uh, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. So now we're starting to get some of the reasoning of what's not good and why it's not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. This is the people who were, he said, cry out to God, they're about to stone me. And later, bunch of them will try and stone them uh, as they're going to the land. And uh, you see God's provision along the way. And so he's saying, you, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, standing there, sitting there all day from morning till night. Uh, have, have you ever stood in line for a really long, long time? You know, maybe at like the, the DMV or... You know, <laughs> Uh, I've been there sometimes, it's been good, but I, I remember sometimes it, 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 it was not good, you know, uh, standing in line for hours on end and all, all day and all, all night, you know, that, that'll lead to a quarreling and bickering and it won't even solve like the, the issues here. And so you'll wear yourselves out for uh, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. So uh, positively, the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. And so, yeah, Moses is God's judge who's been appointed uh, in Jethro. We'll recognize that. We'll, we'll see that. But like on the, the rock, uh, and even when God commissioned him, I'll give you Aaron. You know, your brother, uh, he can speak well, and you, you'll speak to him. He'll be your prophet. And go to the elders, and they'll speak to the people. And he gave him the staff, he gave him the signs, he gave him his name. And so he provides for him along the way uh, and for the, for the people. The water, the manna, uh, the, the water again, you know, pro pro providing for them, for Moses, uh, all throughout Egypt and the Passover, uh, bringing them out. And again, you see Moses' weakness. You know, it's, it's Moses, yeah, uh, God uh, exalted him where even uh, Pharaoh and the people come out to... Uh, he says that you'll, you'll come out and bow before me and uh, give tribute and things and send them away. You know what? The strong and mighty hand because God, he's, he's God's representative, his, his humanly steward, although a, a sinner. Uh, and you see that he's been appointed this judge uh, and, and all of this uh, greatness and authority that God has uh, given to Moses. It's a derivative authority, you know, from, from God uh, above. But Moses is weak, he's limited, he's finite, he's a sinner. 
he can't do all this himself. And so Moses maybe, you know, whether out of negligence, whether out of thoughtlessness, or whether having a little too much confidence in himself, like when he went out and struck the Egyptian and tried, you know, thought maybe he'd deliver the people on, on his own uh, when God didn't send him. Uh, Moses can't, can't do all of this uh, on his own. And so you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Negatively, you are not able to do it alone. Uh, now obey my voice. Uh, I will give you advice. Or I will uh, advise you uh, and God be with you. And so he's announcing now what he's going to say. That's going to be important. This, these exhortations that he's about to give to, to Moses. Uh, now, uh, let's see, verse 19. Uh, now, uh, listen to my voice. Now, hear my, hear my voice. Instead of just telling him, uh, he's telling him, hear my voice. What I'm going to say is important. Uh, I will give you advice. Instead of just advising him, He's announcing, I, I will advise you. So, setting him up for it. This is important. Uh, and God be with you. You know, may, uh, God will be with you. May God be with you. Uh, recognizing that, you know, it's, it's, not just, uh, it's not just Jethro, but, you know, God needs to be with him and uh, his hope, his expectation for, uh, for Moses uh, exhorting him. So uh, we'll see uh, Moses' role, and then we'll see the, the judges that he's to appoint. Uh, you shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Uh, and even there, uh, let's see. Uh, listen to my voice. I will advise you, and God be with you. Uh, you be to the people before God. So He's standing before God. So similar to what we've heard before, you shall be as uh, Elohim, or for Elohim to, uh, to Aaron, you shall be Elohim, God to Pharaoh. Uh, now, uh, you be to the people before God. So he's before God. Uh, that's his position, his status, his authority as God's representative judge uh, before him. And so that, that's very much what he, he was doing. And uh, Jethro uh, acknowledges uh, that. And so uh, you be before the, uh, to the people before God uh, and bring uh, their cases to God. And you shall warn them about, uh, or even it can have to do with like admonish uh, them, uh, instruction, about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So uh, bringing these, these cases uh, to God that they can't handle uh, for, for God uh, to give the ultimate decision, decree and teaching to Moses so that he can now teach uh, this people so that they would know God's word, they would know his statutes, his ways uh, and walk, uh, walk in them. Uh, moreover, so that's, that's Moses, uh, now the, the judges. Moreover, uh, look for able men, or you, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God and who are 
trustworthy and hate uh, a bribe. Uh, really a little more closely. And so uh, you select or, or take from the people uh, men of ability or power. It, it has to do with their uh, power and ability to perform you know, certain functions uh, and, and roles. And so uh, select uh, from the people men of ability, uh, fearing God, those who fear God, um, men of faithfulness who hate a bride. So men of ability who fear God and men of faithfulness, trustworthiness who hate uh, a bride. And so uh, it's very important for Israel's judges, the character of the judges that are to be uh, appointed uh, over them. And here, talk about just men of ability. He doesn't leave it up, but he defines uh, what some of these things are or elaborates what also is involved with that. Men of ability who fear God. Men who fear Yahweh, uh, who fear his name, uh, who trust and believe in him and recognize he is the one ultimately to fear. So they won't fear men, but they'll fear God in giving, uh, giving judgments. Uh, they won't uh, look to themselves in their own judgment because they fear Yahweh. Uh, they fear him. They trust him. And so uh, they don't want to, to disobey uh, him, but they want to give the judgment from God, from Moses, you know, for, for the people. Uh, so men, men of ability who fear God, uh, men of trustworthiness uh, who hate uh, a bride, and so who can be uh, depended uh, and counted uh, upon. That's important for Israel's judges throughout, throughout all of time. Uh, in place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, and of tens. So uh, larger groups of people, more responsibility, uh, and, and smaller. Uh, and you have uh, four groups here, and then with uh, Moses, and maybe five is the, the ultimate judge. Uh, and let them judge the people at all times. So that's normative, you know, they, they should normally judge the, the people. You know, so if you, well, uh, just read the, the next line. And let them judge the people at all times. And what's involved in this? Uh, every great matter uh, they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you, or lighter, you know, uh, for you, uh, and they will bear uh, the burden uh, with you. Uh, and so for the, the easy cases, uh, for what, uh, as Paul Williams says, things that are already known, that they know from God's word that are, are clear, you know, they can judge it. They can handle it at different levels of responsibility, whether 10 small, small groups, you know, households and then larger clans and uh, going up to the, the, the tribes and uh, Moses over, uh, over ultimately all the people and uh, dealing with the, the hard, weighty cases that they can't handle and they need wisdom from Moses, from, from God, 
uh, ultimately. And that way, the people, they'd all be taught of God. And so this is part of the answer for this quarreling, grumbling people. And we're going to see more, more as to it too. They need God's spirit and such. Uh, but this is part of the provision. And we'll see, God's going to provide uh, judges and, and men and elders uh, with his spirit upon them and, and such for, for the people. And so, uh, let them judge the people at all times. Verse 22, every great matter they will bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be uh, easier, lighter for you, uh, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, uh, God will direct you, and you will be able to stand, literally, stand. The ESV says endure. Now, it might be a wordplay for the sense of standing uh, here. Let's, uh, let me just look at my Hebrew text quickly. Yeah, so uh, addressing, uh, addressing Moses. Uh, if you do this, uh, God will direct you uh, and you will be uh, able to uh, stand. Uh, and so <laughs> it's echoing back uh, to this. Yeah, part of that's endurance. Uh, you'll wear yourselves out. It's too much for you. It's too heavy. It's too weighty. You know, if you keep doing this, uh, this thing. And so, yeah, endure uh, is, is uh, it's not wrong looking at the big picture. Uh, but there's also probably kind of a wordplay. Quite literally, he will be able to stand. You know, he's sitting all day long with the people before him. 24-7, uh, well, not quite, but from sunup till sundown with the people. He's sitting judging because that's the, uh, the position he'd take. So you'll be able to stand up now. You know, his problem with the Amalekites was that he, he tried to stand with the staff over his head, couldn't stand all that time, he had to sit down. So they bring him a stone and hold his, the staff up for him. <laughs> and now, uh, so Aaron and her help him, but now... Uh, he can't sit all this time, and uh, the, the people can't take it and endure, so now he'll, you'll be able to stand, you know. <laughs> yeah, endure, but quite literally to stand. <laughs> uh, so maybe, maybe a little humor in there. Uh, and, uh, and all this people also will go to their place in peace, in shalom. And so, desiring peace for this people. You know, Jethro, this priest of Midian, uh, now, now priest of, of God. Uh, so Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, uh, but any small case uh, they, or light case uh, they decided uh, them themselves or uh, or uh, yeah so any any hard case they brought to Moses uh, and any light or small case uh, they decided themselves uh, then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country so he goes back you know as a believer receiving this wise advice from this man who's become a believer uh, in Yahweh uh, and now we went tad over time, so we'll close, but we'll touch on some of these things, and we're going to see more as we uh, go into uh, numbers, round numbers 
uh, 10, and especially like 11 and 12. And we'll see some connections uh, here with uh, Jethro uh, and the, the judges uh, and Moses in Israel. So let's just close in prayer. Holy Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your, your prophet Moses and for, for your judge that uh, you work uh, even, even through sinners and that uh, you uh, teach, uh, that you give uh, wisdom uh, through, through your word uh, to your apostles and prophets that uh, we might be instructed. And I pray that you'd build us up in your word uh, by your Holy Spirit, uh, that uh, we would trust you, uh, that we would hope in you in, in your son, and that we would uh, walk in, in your statutes and uh, your commandments and ways as you've as you teach us uh, by by your spirit uh, the very words and instruction uh, of of your son uh, your uh, your true uh, prophet uh, and judge and king and priest for for all ages uh, and forevermore uh, and we thank you for him and uh, pray in his name amen